0: Um, I, I searched for uh, a long time to try to figure out how to intro this morning, and since, um, since one of my earliest memories is watching Return of the Jedi with my mom on the couch in our house, I decided I need to do Star Wars because it comes out this week, in case you've been hiding under a rock. Um, it also was on the front page of the newspaper this morning, which was very tempting, but I did not read it. Uh, in uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, which came out in 2005, and I went to go see it at midnight with my friends and family, including my not-yet-wife, but she thought I was so cool f- from that night. Um, <laughs> uh, my cousin and I grew up on Star Wars, and he came up to, to, to see it, and um, just one of the most uh, exciting nights of my life. Uh, I remember uh, towards the end of the movie, uh, Anakin Skywalker, spoiler alert, um... He becomes Darth Vader. Um, he, said, he said, I'm sorry. He, he says a line to Obi-Wan Kenobi. He says something like, uh, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Which, of course, is a real strong, deep statement, of course. If you're not with me, you're my enemy. Um, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi responds and says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. And I remember sitting there going, <laughs> because he just... Said only a Sith deals in absolutes with an absolute statement, which doesn't work because he's not supposed to be a Sith. It deals in absolutes, but he's dealing in absolutes because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. And it just, it, t- it totally disappointed me at this time. I was looking forward to this great lightsaber fight at the end of the movie. Um, but even, even in that, just looking at the worldview and being critical, um, of, of seeing what's being presented. I, I love Star Wars. I love the movies and I read dozens of the books. Um, but, but let's just be clear that the worldview of Star Wars is not a Christian worldview. Can we, can we just get that out there? Um, Pastor Ron started talking about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago and, and mentioned something that I think is really important because I recently saw a poll of 50% of Christians taking a survey of basic Bible doctrine um, missed some key doctrines about the Holy Spirit. Um, one of those being, he is a person, uh, or is he a force? Is he an energy force And many, many Christians in America do not know or do not understand the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we assume that he's some kind of force-like uh, energy field or something like that. Um, that, is, that is absolutely not the case. Um, and and what, what I find interesting as well in the Star Wars universe is uh, there's a, a lot of fudging on truth, um, even from the good guys, um, that from a certain point of view, anything could be true. And that's absolutely not right. And that's why this morning we're talking about the spirit of truth. There is absolute truth. There, are, there is right and wrong. And the spirit of truth is a key name for the Holy Spirit that we want to cover this morning and remember the truth aspect of this. Um, we're going to dive in to uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16 um, as we look at this first name, the Spirit of Truth. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to look at what you have said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we know that uh, you are the third person of the Trinity, you are God And you are here. You are present in this room. And for those of us who are believers, you are present in our hearts. So we address you this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. And we ask that you would take the words from my mouth this morning and deliver them to ears and to hearts and to minds. That you would do the work that I cannot do and only you can. Uh, Lord, we need you. And we thank you for sending Jesus. And we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit for the gift that he is to us. This morning, help us to see truth because your spirit guides us. And for those who who are blind, we pray that the Holy Spirit, even this morning, would open their eyes, that they would see anew, that they would be born again. God, only you can do that. So we pray that you would be here and be present in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 14, I asked you to go there, and I did not, so let me catch up. John 14, and I want us to uh, begin looking at verse 15. John 14, verse 15. We're going to skip around a little bit here. John 14, verse 15, I'm just going to read 15, 16, and 17. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Those are the verses we want to focus on first. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, most likely in the upper room after the Last Supper has been observed. Um, uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 um, deal with Jesus and his disciples in an intimate setting. So many deep and wonderful truths in these passages. And the first point in your notes here is that we just want to reflect on truth because the, the word is spirit of truth. The name is spirit of truth. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Uh, one commentator said that um, by the name spirit of truth, we need to understand that the very nature of the spirit is truth. The very nature of the spirit is truth. And so that corresponds to reality. Jesus tells his disciples to, to love him, to keep his commandments because they love him, and then he returns to uh, a name that Pastor Ron covered a few weeks ago, a uh, helper, or counselor, or comforter, or advocate, or whatever your version says, because there are so many translations of that word. It's the word paraclete. Um, and and it, comes, it comes across as another helper which tells us that there is already a helper and who's that helper jesus jesus is speaking of his going away and he says i'm going to give you another helper so here's the deal guys i'm leaving but don't worry i'm not going to leave you i'm not going to leave you alone i'm leaving and i'm going to send a helper a paraclete a, a, a advocate a comforter to be with you forever so here here's the here's the key here Jesus is on earth for 30-ish, 33-ish years. But he's leaving. He's telling his disciples. He's going. And so what's coming next is actually better. Okay? Actually better. He's going to send another comforter. Why? Because that comforter, that helper, is going to be with them forever. And then verse 17. Who is this comforter? Well, even the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of truth. And it's very interesting this occurs in verse 17 because just 11, 12 verses earlier, Jesus himself said, calling himself the way, the truth, the life. Jesus said that uh, in John 14:6. So just a few verses later, we see that the next point in your notes, the spirit of truth communicates the truth about the truth. <laughs> I don't know if it's a mouthful. The spirit of truth communicates the truth about the truth. Okay, capital T, the truth. So, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this Holy Spirit who is going to come, the Spirit of truth, is going to make sure that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, um, know the truth. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus says um, that you're going to receive the Spirit of truth because then he immediately says that there is a selective giving of the Spirit. Namely, that the world cannot receive the spirit of truth the world cannot receive the spirit of truth throughout the book of john the world um, is in opposition to god and therefore in opposition to god cannot receive the spirit why he goes on to say because it, the world neither sees him nor knows him there's relationship involved On the other hand, the disciples who Jesus is talking to says, You know him. Why? For he dwells with you, and here we go, future tense, will be in you. So in some sense, while Jesus was with the disciples, the Holy Spirit dwelled with them. He was there. But what was to come was even better. He said, And he will be in you. This promise is astonishing, because throughout the Old Testament, the history of Israel their scriptures that they knew of, the Holy Spirit functioned in a a slightly different way than He does today in our lives. Um, The Holy Spirit sometimes, in some places, came on some people, sometimes for a limited amount of time. So remember King Saul. The Spirit comes on King Saul to empower him to lead the children of Israel. And yet, Saul does not line up with God's will and does whatever he wants. And in fact, the Spirit leaves Saul... And then the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes and seeks another man, a man after God's own heart, anoints him with oil, and the Spirit rushes on David, King David. So the disciples were familiar with the Holy Spirit sometimes coming upon somebody, but this promise is new and better because Jesus says he's going to be in you. So the Spirit of truth is now going to come into the life, the heart of the disciples. What a promise that they received. What a promise that they received. Now that they will have the spirit of truth in them, they will be able to know the truth and to continue the ministry of Jesus in his absence. That's your next blank there. The spirit of truth continues the ministry of Jesus in his absence. Jesus is leaving but his presence will stay with them through the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is the model next for speaking in times of persecution. So just turn the page, might be on the same page. Uh, John 15:26. John 15:26. The spirit of truth is the model for speaking in times of persecution. The next time that the spirit of truth is mentioned is in chapter 15 in a little bit different context, because in this context, Jesus is promising them persecution. Again, remember, he's talking to his guys. He's talking to his inner circle. He's talking to these men who've been with him for three and a half years, and he says, it's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. Back up in verse 20, he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in the context of persecution that he's warning them about, verse 26, but... When the helper comes, there it is again, helper, comforter, advocate, paraclete. When the helper comes, future, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In the context of persecution and hatred that Jesus is promising his followers is going to come, he says that not only will the spirit of truth bear witness about him, but it seems that he's saying the spirit of truth will bear witness about me when you bear witness about me. That the spirit of truth who will dwell in you will bear witness to me. That word in the Greek is martyreo. It's it's where we get the word martyr from. Because a martyr would bear witness before a synagogue ruler or a king or a governor would bear witness about this person or this religion that they are following and therefore would be killed because of their witness. So Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, it's coming. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Oh, great, thanks. Okay? However, Jesus does not leave them with that bad news, right? I mean, that that, that would be kind of hard to stomach. Hey, I'm leaving and you're going to get persecuted. Wow, things are not looking good. Uh, But again, the promise of the helper is so important here. Uh, The helper is important in that comforting, sort of come alongside sort of way. And then the the name spirit of truth is helpful to remember because in a time of persecution, in a time of perhaps torture, in a time of deprivation, death, uh, families being split up, um, it may be hard to remember what is true and what's not. In fact, go back to the book of Mark real quick. Just two books back in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. John 15 is not the only place that Jesus tells his followers about persecution and what's going to happen. He has warned them. Mark 13. Let's look actually at verse 9. Tells his disciples as he looks to the future, as he answers questions about the future, but be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, and here's the word again, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the holy spirit this meshes very well with john 15 this promise of persecutions coming but don't be anxious don't worry the holy spirit who is in you the spirit of truth will give you true words to say in that hour and in that moment and that doesn't mean <laughs> that we just kind of lay back and say hey when things get tough the holy spirit's going to give me all the right words to say I tend to think from this passage and others that the Holy Spirit in those times stirs up your memory, stirs up the words that you have studied, that you have memorized, that you have learned, and gives those back to you. Have you ever had that? You remember a Bible verse out of nowhere in a time of need? Um, I, I, I feel like I get this ministry of the Holy Spirit when I'm standing up here sometimes. That's something that's not in my notes. Um is given me by the Holy Spirit. And someone afterwards will say, that was really helpful. I'm like, that's cool, because I didn't plan that <laughs> at all. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of some of this ministry here, is that in times of persecution, or perhaps in a time of need, that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind um, what we have learned from God's Word, from um, the mouth of Jesus. I go back to, to John 15. This bearing witness... If the Spirit's going to bear witness about Jesus, and if we are going to bear witness about Jesus, then it is necessary that the Spirit of truth is in us so that we might bear an accurate witness about Jesus. We want to bear an accurate witness about Jesus. We want to say the right things in those times. It's interesting, verse 27, Jesus says, And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning... There seems to be um, a, a somewhat restricted application in some ways to the guys that are listening, saying, "Because you have been with me from the beginning, you will also bear witness." I think that what this is saying is because the disciples have been with, in all of Jesus's public ministry, they've they've learned from him. They've been on a three and a half year road trip with him. Um, they've actually gone out on, on their own mission trips and cast out demons and preached the gospel of the kingdom, and come back to Jesus. They've been with Jesus this whole time. They've learned from his very mouth. And now because of that, they will be the primary ones to declare, to bear witness about Jesus in the following generation. Now part of what that means, I think, is that what we have here in the New Testament is some of what these men bore witness about, so that we have access to what they bore witness about. In fact, when we read the New Testament, um, we read the writings of Paul, of Peter, of James, of John, of whoever the author of Hebrews is. <laughs> we we get the, the witness of these men who heard it from Jesus or one of Jesus' followers and have passed it on to us so that when we bear witness, we have something to bear witness about. I've never met Jesus face-to-face yet. Um, but I know what he said. I know what he came to do because it's been recorded for me. It's been passed on. Others bore witness about it and now, based on the evidence, based on the spirit of truth residing in me, now I bear witness about these things. This is um, a fantastic thing to think about, especially if you think in terms of persecution. Uh, once again, this is a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around because we don't experience much or any of, of that at the moment. Um, in our lives, um, and especially to the degree that many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience it. Um, To to just read the the stories from Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors and these other um, publications, to read what happens to some of these men before their heads are sawn off um, on camera. Um, To to imagine yourself in that position and to what what are you going to say? Well, the spirit of truth dwells in you. You will bear witness about Jesus. These twenty one men early this year who were marched onto a beach in Africa and told to recant um, they they were you can actually hear it um, on the video. they whisper the name of Jesus they appeal to jesus they don 't turn back even with the knife to their throat. they say we 're with Jesus and in fact what 's interesting is twenty of the men um, were of Arab descent, um, and then another man was african um, and he he was not a, a Christian up until that point, as far as we know. But when he when he spent the time with these guys, when they, when it came to be his turn, he basically said, I'm with them. I'm with them. I want to be with him because th- he means something to these guys. That Jesus person means something right before his head was taken off. The spirit of truth is the model for speaking in times of persecution. If we are persecuted in America, if if laws are passed, if... Um, ordinances are um, updated that go against what we believe. What are we going to say? And we need to be very careful, I think, in these times that that we see ourselves as Christians first before we are Americans. Um, we 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 love the Constitution and the freedoms that it that it gives us, um, but but our primary purpose on this earth is not to defend the Constitution. Um, it is to subscribe to the laws of God. And so we need to put the, the word of God as primary. What are we going to say when laws are passed against us? I think we ought to be really careful, especially on social media. Folks, can, can we be really careful to, to stop whining on social media? We, we need to be very careful of how we project and what we um, communicate uh, in this culture. Are we more concerned about our rights Are we more concerned about Jesus and the message of the gospel going forth no matter what our rights are? So many of the things we read in the scriptures, (laughs) their rights are taken away. Paul is is falsely accused. Jesus is falsely accused. But he's there for something more, for something deeper. When the time of persecution comes, we need the spirit of truth in our lives to bring out truth more than we need to memorize the uh, Bill of Rights. Now, if you memorize the Bill of Rights, that's fantastic. I love the Bill of Rights. But, but that's not what we're called to give a witness to. We're called to bear witness about Jesus, about the, the one who has saved us. So let's, let's make sure we have those things straight. That what Jesus says to, to men who did not have um, the same freedoms that we have, who lived under the boot of the Roman imperial um, guard, uh, these men did not have the same rights we have, and yet they were mostly concerned, most concerned, with bearing witness to Jesus, and we ought to as well. Go down um, to chapter 16, for the third instance of the name Spirit of Truth. John 16, look at verse 12. John sixteen, twelve. Actually, you know, let's go back up to 7, because I want to show you this. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How many of you have thought, maybe when you were a child, maybe recently, man, it would have been awesome to be there with Jesus. Anybody ever thought that? To like be there for the Sermon on the Mount, to hear Jesus, the actual words from his mouth? Jesus says, it's better that he goes away so that the Helper comes. That is, that's unbelievable to think about. Listen, we are we are better off with Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit here, for now. The Holy Spirit works in our lives and is the promise from Jesus that it is better that he should go away so the helper would come to us. And in verse 12, he continues on and says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, okay, again, future, he will guide you into all the truth For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think that it's interesting here, uh, the next point in your notes is the Holy Spirit's ministry is to magnify Jesus. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to magnify Jesus. He is the spirit of truth, he is the spirit of truth about Jesus, And here, the the promise is that when the Spirit of truth comes, and we know from Acts 2 that He came uh, at the Feast of Pentecost in a new way, and when when anyone uh, repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are given a new heart, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of them. This is the promise that the Spirit will guide. Now, I want to be careful here because I wrestled with this all week. He will guide you into all the truth. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. And I think there is uh, probably two layers here. Uh, I think that the some of what's going on here, and more in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 of, of John, is that the disciples especially um, will be able to recall what Jesus taught so that they can record it for us. Okay, so here's Jesus. He's gone, and two, three, four decades later, in the case of John, five decades later, we're going to write a gospel. How are they going to remember what Jesus said? I think in a a very special way, the spirit of truth um, guided the disciples into remembering what Jesus had taught, into passing on what Jesus had taught because the spirit comes not to speak on his own authority, okay, but to speak whatever Jesus tells him. So the picture is Jesus is going to go back to heaven, but he's going to keep feeding the Holy Spirit words, and the Holy Spirit's going to tell us those. Okay, so that, that the spirit of truth continues to make sure that we have the truth. But he's not speaking on his own authority. So what he's doing is reiterating, clarifying what Jesus has already said. And, and of course in the New Testament era, Paul um, receives some revelation from God and, and some of the other writers and they write these things down in our scriptures. They write them down for our good. I think there is an application for us that the Holy Spirit does help us He's the spirit of truth to discern what is true, to know what is true and what is not true. We'll see that in a minute in 1 John. I think it's interesting to, to note here that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to magnify Jesus. One author said that the Holy Spirit's ministry is a floodlight ministry, and he's behind the floodlight. And the floodlight is pointed at Jesus Christ. We're Christians, we're not spiritans. Okay, you never noticed that? that? That we're Christians, um after the second person of the Trinity. And I think that that's a good picture of the Holy Spirit just doing... His job is just to point to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Magnify Jesus. So Jesus is at the center of the universe. He shares the throne with the Father. He judges one day the living and the dead. He is magnified, glorified, and praised. He is shown to be great. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the behind-the-scenes spirit. He's co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. He shares all the attributes of God, but His work is done mostly in the shadows in the background. After all, He is the Spirit, the pneuma, the wind, the breath. Invisible. You don't see the work, but we know that it's happening. The Spirit is working behind the scenes. He is invisible. Well, We've got to go to 1 John to see the last usage of the name Spirit of Truth. So turn towards the end of your Bible, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, the last use of the Spirit of Truth. Interesting that the Spirit of Truth is only used um, in the Apostle John's writings. 1 John 4 is concerned with truth, weird, and with how to discern what is true and what is not true. Um, So I'm going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 6. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's pretty black and white Some uh, scholars would want to not capitalize spirit in this instance to just contrast kind of the, the ethos, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um, I think that the ESV did a good job in capitalizing spirit here. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John introduces the concept that there are many spirits. In fact, he ties it to false prophets. So spirits is probably um, behind the teaching that's going on in the church. There's lots of teachers teaching lots of things from lots of spirits. How do we discern what's right? Is the spirit God or is he a force? Is the son God or did he become God? Was there a time when he wasn't? These are all things that the early church had to wrestle through. And the promise here um, is that when you listen to God, when you listen to those who have been sent from God, and we listen carefully, by this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The disciples, the apostles, the teachers that came in the early days of the church spoke God's word to others. And the spirit of truth made it clear to them, what was true and what was not true. Now that didn't just happen in everybody's head, it had to be wrestled out in public, it had to be kind of debated at times, even in Galatians 2 we see Peter and Paul kind of getting into it over um, an issue and needing to refine their understanding and figure out how to do some of these things. But in all the usages of the spirit of truth, it should be very clear to us that in a world of a lot of gray, there is black and white. There is truth and there is error. And we've got to labor and we've got to work hard to discern those things. Um, we need to, to be able to discern what's going on by appealing to the knowledge that the Spirit of God does dwell in our hearts. If we are Christians, then the Spirit of God is in us. He is powerful. And we need to appeal to Him for that. So some implications and some ways of thinking about this, some responses. Uh, got this quote. Um, that wasn't cited in the source I got it from, so I don't actually know who said this, but the author quoted a pastor who said this, if you have the Bible without the Spirit, you will dry up. If you have the Spirit without the Bible, you will blow up. But if you have both the Bible and the Spirit together, you will grow up. Um, Just to to be clear, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who inspired every author who wrote this book to write it. In fact, there is one overarching author, the Spirit of Truth. And in inspiring every word of this book, the Spirit of God has given us the Word of God. So that when we read the Word of God, we are reading the words of the Spirit of God. He inspired it. So if we try to read the Bible without the Spirit, we're going to dry up. It's just words on a page. And, and you know that. You felt that after reading the Bible. Um, I, what did I just read? That doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I need to get on with my day. Dry. Um, sometimes you've begged God as I have God I'm not getting anything out of this help me I need you make this come alive but if we have the spirit without the Bible you will blow up we begin to unhinge ourselves from the anchor the authority and we can do whatever we want because the spirit told us so I get really nervous when people say God told me the Holy Spirit told me if they say in the Bible then I'm like okay that's good God told me oh, you're really nervous about what's going to happen next because the spirit without the bible is is cause for alarm. Guys, the spirit gave us God's word so that we have an objective source of truth. The spirit of truth is not floating through the air kind of trying to make up his mind. He's given us truth. And and it reflects on the one who is the way, the truth and the life. In fact, in the Old Testament, oftentimes the prophets are telling God's people to turn away from false idols to the true God. So every member of the Trinity is emphasized with truth at some point in the Scriptures. And the promise here of this quote, if you have both the Bible and the Spirit together, you will grow up. So that as we open God's Word, we ask the Spirit to illuminate, to give us understanding. Understanding. Pastor Ron and I were talking this morning about 1 Corinthians 2. You can go on the uh, Village uh, Bible Church website and go listen to um, Pastor Ron's sermon on on 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13, but talking about um, how the Spirit helps us to understand. Um, The natural man cannot understand the things of God. You can understand words and sentences and paragraphs, but to understand, to know intimately what God is saying requires the Spirit of God to work. So that's why, when we ask for God to save somebody, we're appealing to the Spirit to go in there and do something, because we can't do it. Um, we, we share the gospel, we share words that are true with people, and it's a brick wall and falls down. We need the Spirit to give our words life. We need the Spirit to get in there and to move. That's why we ask God to move in people's lives. We ask God, the Spirit, to get in there and do the work. I prayed this morning. I can say a lot of words up here. I'm, I'm, I'm good at talking. I always have been. I could talk for a long time. We could go, you know, there's no Sunday school. I could just go to 12. I could talk for a long time. That doesn't mean anything good's going to come out of my mouth or anything effective. The Spirit doesn't work. That's so why we pray in times of evangelism because I'm not smart enough to convince you to become a Christian. I need God in the Holy Spirit to come in, the spirit of truth to change hearts and minds. Another implication response is just very practical. Prepare for persecution. Um, I want to thread the needle here and be really careful not to go into some doomsday, um, you know, America's awful and everyone's, you know, all the leaders are terrible and we're all blah, blah, blah. I want to be really careful not to go down that. But I, really, I want to be realistic too and say that there, there are trends and there are laws being passed that... Um, that will amount to and have amounted to persecution of people's beliefs. Bakers and florists and wedding site hosters. I don't know if that's a word. They, they have had laws passed against them. They've had civil rights commissions give them huge fines. We need to think about this. Are we willing to stand up for what we believe um, and accept the consequences we need to have the spirit of truth in us to help us prepare for persecution. Lastly, to get to know the spirit, get to know his book. To get to know the spirit, get to know his book. Now, I, again, um, this has a lot to do with the tradition I grew up in and things, but I'm really nervous about impressions. And, and I sense the spirit doing this and I feel, and I, when I start saying things like that, I correct myself because I get real nervous. Subjectivity makes me nervous. I'd like to be objective, right? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Um, Subjective leaves me really nervous. But you know what? Um, We've got a really thick book with a lot of instruction in it that the Holy Spirit gave to us as a gift. If you want to get to know the Spirit, he wrote a book. Get to know the Spirit through his book. The last uh, set of names that we have for the, the Holy Spirit is actually found in Isaiah chapter 11. So let's go back to the Old Testament and we'll look at the last group of names of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is a big book, pretty close to smack dab in the middle. I'd say that's smack dab, right? That's pretty close. Isaiah, right in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, And these names describe briefly the ministry of the Spirit in the Messiah. These names describe the ministry of the Spirit in the Messiah. They give qualifications, descriptions of the coming Messiah. So Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We'll keep reading. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Uh, this is one of many messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah, saying, The Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. That will come in the future. This person is going to be like this. There's many places that we see this, but this is one of them. And it says that this Messiah who comes, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Um, that, that word is is something like hover um, or or, or um, literally to to like lay upon to, to rest. So the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, will be present with this person who comes. Um, there's other places in the, in the book of Isaiah and in the Old Testament that talk about this. So later on today, if you want to read Isaiah 42, there's another promise of the Messiah, and it has to do with the Spirit. Uh, Isaiah 61 has to do with, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus actually quotes that in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Um, he quotes that and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. <laughs> And he uses that to to describe himself, to define himself as the Messiah. And here in Isaiah 11, we get a very specific promise of the Holy Spirit's coming upon Jesus. We don't have time, but in all four Gospels, there is mention of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus at the time of his baptism. You know, Jesus is basically anonymous um, until the time of his baptism. He's, He's just a carpenter in a hick town in the north. He had a weird accent. The people in Jerusalem didn't like. Um, he, he was a nobody from nowhere until his baptism. And at his baptism, he descends into the water with his cousin. And the heavens break open and a voice from heaven speaks. And a dove comes down and the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And things get crazy after that. Three and a half years of crazy after thirty years of anonymity. It's interesting in Matthew three sixteen. There's actually the exact phrase that the Holy Spirit descended in a dove and rested on him. Came to rest on him. Same exact phrasing. So the people that knew their Old Testament, that knew Isaiah, that were looking for the Messiah, when when they saw this and when maybe they heard it described by somebody else, they heard this dove resting on him it was like rest, resting on him, and they took their scrolls and they looked. At Isaiah 11, and see the promise of the Spirit of the Lord resting upon the Messiah. This came true. This is not just a metaphor. It's not just symbolism. This actually happened. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus. And and then there's basically three couplets here. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And every commentator has their own way of dividing this all up and trying to tell us what it all means. Um, I, I think that w- what we see is we see um, somewhat related issues here for the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding is going to come upon him. Um, wisdom is, is the practical outworking of understanding. Okay, Understanding is discerning. Being able to, to see an argument, to hear information, to process information, and wisdom is acting it out. So that this Messiah will be wise in the way that he applies the knowledge that he has. The understanding that he has. The spirit of counsel and might. A counsel is, is more along the lines of like planning. Um, sometimes it's used as for advice. And boy, did Jesus give a lot of advice. He, he gave the plan of God. Um, he also was, in a limited sense, mighty. And I think that this is going to come out when Jesus comes next time, because Jesus came the first time, meek and mild, in a manger, swaddling cloths, human weakness. Next time he comes, he's riding on a horse, there's a sword coming out of his mouth, he's got a tattoo on his thigh, and people die. So it's a much different coming next time. And it's going to be a coming of might. The last couplet, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, immediately takes us back to Proverbs. Um, if, you've, if you've read the Proverbs at all, those those words begin to echo the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In another place, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Take your pick. <laughs> the fear of the Lord lies at the root of these things. Knowledge is basically a synonym of understanding. A lot of people are trying to make distinctions. It really is just another synonym. It might have some nuance, discernment. Um, but fear is is a, a, an actual terror For right reasons, Um, it also is a reverence. So there is a proper and right way to fear God, just as there was a proper and right way for me to fear my father when I disobeyed as a young man. I was I was afraid when Mom said, "Wait till your dad gets home." Oh man, it's over! (laughs) It is over. Dad's coming home, and I am seriously afraid. But well, when I got to the age where my dad gave me the option between a spanking and like a week off of Nintendo or something, I took the week off of Nintendo and my dad would try to reason with me. Like, the spanking will be over real quick. Anybody done this? Like, it's just going to be over. It'll be done. Why take a whole week off? Because I don't want you to spank me. <laughs> okay? I don't want to be spanked. That was a good and right fear of my dad. And this is the fear of the Lord that how the Messiah lives in. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. (laughs) The Messiah lives in the fear of the world. Maybe that means that we we err more on the side of reverence. That there is a, a reverence from this human Messiah towards God. But this is how the Messiah will act. This is how the Messiah will practice. This is what the Messiah will look like. These are identification markers for the people of God to say, ah, there he is. There's the Messiah. Which is why throughout the Gospels, you get people that just cannot deny what Jesus has done. Even the false teachers, no one says, he didn't actually do that, because he just did it right in front of them. So they have to find ways around that, because the identification markers are clear. They are very clear. Folks, this is Jesus. This is the Spirit of God, again, highlighting Jesus Um, giving us Jesus' center stage as the Spirit takes behind the scenes. Shines the light on Jesus for all to see. Some implications in response. um, Study prophecy. What? Study prophecy because this is amazing. You go through Isaiah and you look at what 700 years ahead of time Isaiah said would be true about the Messiah and it came true. This is a fantastic way to see the truths of Scripture, that prophecy came true in some startling ways. A, a response is just, again, another response is just thankfulness. Thankfulness that this Messiah came. That he that he's, he's still the Messiah. He's still the God-man. He has the marks on his body to prove it. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he gives us, by his Spirit, understanding and wisdom and knowledge, Fear of the Lord. So let me conclude. Um, it's Christmas, in case you're wondering. Christmas time, uh, what's the Holy Spirit got to do with this? And so this morning I decided to read through the Christmas story again and, and notice the, where the Holy Spirit shows up. It's behind the scenes again. The Holy Spirit um, is said to be the cause of the conception of Jesus in a virgin's womb, quietly, invisibly doing this work. Then the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth as she blesses Mary. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb does a little flip when he sees Cousin Jesus over there in Mary's womb. It's a crazy passage. The Holy Spirit's involved in that. The Spirit quietly reveals to a man named Simeon. Who is he? Just a guy that happens to appear in Luke. We hear about him and then boom, he's gone. But the Spirit quietly reveals to Simeon, he will not die before he meets the Messiah. I I love that. It's a Precious passage. Simeon goes, I'm not dying until I see the Messiah. So we'll just wait. We'll see what happens. And he finally gets to hold the baby and bless his parents. Later on in the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus at his baptism, rests on him, empowers his public ministry as he casts out evil spirits, heals the broken, raises the dead, proclaims the kingdom, and then gives his life. And then that same spirit raises Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised him from the dead now dwells in you and me. Jesus said that he gives the spirit without measure to those who repent of their sin and turn in faith to him. So, brothers and sisters, you and I have been given this unbelievable, indescribable gift of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He washes us, renews us, convicts us of sin. He assures us. He empowers us. For what? For comfortable living? for better Bible trivia knowledge? No, he, he empowers us to fulfill our purpose of becoming holy as our Father is holy, to pursue the mission of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded us. And behold, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is he with us? By the Spirit. The Spirit of truth who lives in us. That is how He kept that promise and He's keeping it to you and I. If you do not have the Spirit of God, then you are powerless. So this morning, you need to consider one of the outcomes of Christmas is that Jesus was born, He lived a perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He rose from the grave Victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And then he left. And he sent his Holy Spirit back to continue the work in us. Let's praise him for that. Father, thank you for sending the Spirit. Thank you for this wonderful gift that he lives in us. Spirit, we ask that you would empower us this Christmas time to look past our tendencies at materialism, our tendencies to to curve our desires in on ourselves help us to be generous this Christmas season. Help us to to see what the true message is or there are false messages all around us. Spirit give us eyes to see, ears to hear the truth, for you are the spirit of truth. Guide us as we go today and And in spirit, we pray that you would just flood this place tonight as people see uh, our attempt at what the town of Bethlehem may have looked like. Um, And Lord, that, that many would hear the good news that Jesus came as a baby, but he didn't stay as a baby. He grew up and he did what only he could do, and that saved his people from their sins. So spirit, we pray that you would do the work tonight, and do the work every day in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.